This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Department of Scientific Intelligence Lot 6 Drug Trial. The shop is offering $200 to qualifying participants to spend a calming afternoon, potentially going through a mild hallucinogenic experience. Side effects may include headaches, diarrhea, nausea and vomiting, drowsiness, bloody nose or bloody eyes. In extreme cases, some patients will experience the onset of psychokinetic abilities. The strong urge to call your own eyes out or death. Ask the DSI about your qualifications for the Lot 6 study today. This episode is also made possible by the generous support of listeners like you at patreon.com slash podcemetery. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And since we just launched it, I'm going to mention it again. Patreon.com slash Pod Cemetery. Lots of great stuff over there. We are going to be uploading very soon our discussion about the last two episodes of Stranger Things Season 4. There are plenty of other topics on the list of things for us to talk about, including... Movies we rejected, what counts actually as horror and sort of a spinoff topic of that, children's horror, what constitutes a children's horror movie, and why am I wrong? Also a good Q&A, because Kelsey thinks I'm wrong about my definition of children's horror, a good Q&A, all sorts of other stuff. We also go to a lot of horror-themed theme parks. So we'll talk about that. There's plenty of stuff that's not the movies that we're talking about here directly that we'll be uh, chatting about over there in exclusive content for patreon.com slash pod cemetery. So get over there now if you haven't already. Our episode today is a double feature. feature 1984's Firestarter and 2022's. Firestarter. <laughs> Getting right into it with the first movie from 1984, directed by Mark L. Lester, who did Commando, he did Class of 84, uh, he did Armed and Dangerous, the John Candy movie with Eugene Levy and Meg Ryan, uh, he did Showdown in Little Tokyo with Dolph Lundgren and Brandon Lee. Yeah, so <laughs> not great. Hey. hey. <laughs> For me, anyway. Watch it. <laughs> of course, based on the novel by Stephen King and written by Stanley Mann, starring Drew Barrymore, David Keith, not Keith David, <laughs> Heather Locklear, Martin Sheen, George C. Scott, Art Carney, Louise Fletcher, Moses Gunn, and even Dick Warlock. <laughs> so, like, it's a stacked cast, man. It is. It's kind of a well-known quote-unquote secret that the movie was originally going to be directed by John Carpenter uh, and written by Bill Lancaster. Of course, John Carpenter famously directed Thing from 1982. Bill Lancaster wrote it. I feel and like so it would have been a much They were going to make this, but then the Thing bombed. Yeah. 
they're like, no, we're not going to have you direct our Stephen King adaptation. According to Mark Lester, the actual director, John Carpenter got fired off of Firestarter. He never even got started on the picture, but there was a script and they were ready to go. <laughs> uh, they didn't end up they didn't end up using that script, unfortunately. Well, I don't know. Maybe it could have been worse. Who knows? Kelsey, what is Firestarter about? These two people went to a study to test some sort of chemical, which we all know that our government really did do back in the 60s. Yes. From this, two of the people that are part of this study earn abilities from this chemical compound that they take, and they end up getting married, and they have a child, and the product, that child, the product of these Pituitary glands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they have created a little girl who has the ability to start fires. She's Hence pyrokinetic. Yes, yeah. yes, pyrokinesis. And the government wants to get their hands on this little girl. If not to harness her power to prevent her from destroying the world. Yeah. But don't don't get it twisted. They're not benevolent. It's I mean in a lot of ways, this is Stranger Things, and I am very- In some I, ways, sure, yeah. I'm very shocked that- There are no Firestarter references in Stranger Things? Oh, no, there's plenty of references. I'm shocked that I never hear anyone talk oh, about yeah, them. Uh-huh. Like, I'm just like- Of the girl with the powers, and yeah. Uh-huh. And getting a nosebleed uh-huh. when you use your power. Like, I'm just like- The little no girl one. being tested. Yeah, like, yeah, uh-huh. no one is making this connection- I've never heard anyone compare this to Firestarter. It's I'm just, sure people are out there comparing it to Firestarter. I guess. Especially now that the new movie came out. I'm sure people are talking about it. Or maybe I just didn't notice because uh-huh. I, I didn't know. I had never read or watched Firestarter. You're in the middle of reading the novel right now, right? I'm the mi- I, I, I don't know if you'd call it the middle, but I am reading it. Uh, they just arrived at the farmhouse, people. Okay. Yeah. Art Carney. Yeah. The movie is available to rent for $4 and buy for $15, but you can save a buck or two by going to DirecTV or Redbox, which are $13 and $14, respectively. Kelsey, should people watch the 1984 version of Firestarter? Tough one for you? This is a very tough one, because there's a lot of reasons to see it. That doesn't mean it's a great movie. Fair. I'm a Stephen King fan. I want to see everything that Stephen King did I'm a Drew Barrymore fan. I, I, I'm an 80s movie fan. Like, there, uh-huh. there are so many reasons to see this. And not to say that this is a bad movie. It's just not a great movie. So, uh, yeah, I would argue that it is not bad. Yeah. But it's um, not a great movie. So I guess I'd say you should at least see one of them. I don't know how I feel about it. See one of them. Yeah, part of me wants to say hold off until you watch the new one. Then watch this one. I prefer this one. Yes, that's so do I. Because I prefer Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. I, and I, she's supposed to be a little girl, not a fucking 10-year-old. There's a big, big difference. Um, she also comes off as like a tween in the new one. Exactly. Yeah, yeah no. she She's supposed to be like 10, but I think the kid might be older than that because she certainly feels like she's like 13. Anyone who's ever dealt with kids at these ages knows there's a huge difference between an 8-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 13-year-old. Yes. And that's a problem. And I prefer her being a little girl. I think that makes way more sense for the plot. Mm-hmm. But yes or no, would you say people should watch this? Sure. I would say yes. 
I think there's some cheesy effects. I don't mind the effects. I, I think it's the direction I don't like. Yeah. No, but I mean, there's some bad effects that are done outside of the camera, right? Like, there's a moment where she's deflecting bullets, and that looks really bad. I don't think it but looks there that are, bad. But there are some in-camera effects, like the fireballs she sends out, which look cheesy, but then you think, no, that was fucking actually there. I think it's pretty cool. And there's something awesome about that. Yeah, so... I, I the effects are really dope. I would say that Drew Barrymore is one of those child actresses who is is not too precocious, right? Like her thing is not that oh she's just like an adult, like so many other child stars are now. You know, like mm-hmm. their whole thing is that they're they they appear smarter than a kid their age should be. Right. That's not what Drew Barrymore is doing. No. She is, however, like an adult level talent at the age of eight. Like I think she's incredibly talented, and that talent is shining through in this movie, despite some bad direction for a little girl. I think you're right. I think she's not very well directed in this movie. But with that in mind, I think she did a great job. I think it's worth watching, for sure. I think she's great in E.T. I think she's great in Cat's Eye. I don't think that she does much in Cat's Eye, but I like Right, she's not in a lot of Cat's Eye. (laughs) But point is, I think she could have done a better job with a better director. Um, But I think that, yeah, I think that... Imagine if her director was John Carpenter. Exactly, exactly. But I thought that she did a fine job. I think that the the other part that shows that it's bad direction is Nurse Ratchet is in this, and I think she's yes. pretty bad in this. Yeah. And I think that's direction, because we've all seen her as Nurse Ratchet, where she does amazing. She so. is so good as Nurse, Nurse Ratchet that you just want to throttle her. <laughs> And it's not just the story. She is. She does a really terrific job. Of course, we're talking about Louise Fletcher. Um, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about the 1984 version of Firestarter. Charlie McGee is a healthy eight-year-old girl, normal in every way. Charlie, now watch what you're doing. But one. Did she do that? What are you gonna do with it? I'll bring her here, so you can do all your tests. And you give her to me. Charlie has the power. Do something bad. Will you still love me? Oh, Charlie. She can set things on fire. Something's happening in there. With just a glance. It is a power she does not want. Stick with him. Daddy, I'm scared. So am I, honey. A power she cannot control. Back up. And each night... She prays to be just like every other child. We haven't got her yet. We'll have her. But there are those who will do everything in their power to find her. To control her. Charlie! And maybe destroy her. Charlie! Come to me, Charlie. Go! You would have to burn it down. I mean, burn it all down. Charlie McGee is Stephen King's Firestarter. Will she have the power to survive? All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does the original Firestarter begin? So, as I said, I've only read the beginning of the novel. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. I think it does an excellent job of putting it on the screen. I think that they take a few things out. Of course they do. But I think everything that happens here is pretty on the money. Uh, yeah. He is carrying... Oh, he. What's his name? This is David Keith, not Keith David, uh, <laughs> playing Andrew McGee, Andy. And what do we know him from? Uh, it's it's weird. I know him from Major League Two. That's what I know him from. <laughs> But he was in an officer and a gentleman. Uh, he was Daredevil's dad in the Ben Affleck Daredevil. Indian in the cupboard. He played Boone. Does that sound familiar to you? I know you like that movie. You don't like that movie. I like the book. Oh, okay. The movie is pretty much garbage. Oh, but, I see. But I, I do remember him from that. I should just I always think... default to Kelsey doesn't like the movie adaptation. But <laughs> I think there's something else I knew him from, but it's fine. He has been in 124 things. Let's not do that. So he is carrying his daughter through a crowd, and she is very tired and scared. And he ends up using his ability, and he calls it pushing. Pushing. Was Mm -hmm. that a term before? No, that was the the book made that up. He created that. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool because I mean, there's a whole fucking book book and movie called Push. Push, yeah. yeah, but it's not. That kind of pushing, is it? Is it's it? using their ability. Right, yeah, but it he's just talking means about using their ability. But he's talking about pushing thoughts into people's brains. Right, but you know that's where that came from. Oh, probably. Yeah. It's a term, you know, like I've heard that before, and it's pretty cool that it came from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so he pushes a cabbie, which means using his psychic ability to get him to see or believe things. Yeah, kind what does of he like make him a believe? Jedi mind trick. Yeah, yeah, basically. But he needs to like he really needs to concentrate, put his hands on his on the side of his head, and like then his nose. Starts oh yeah, bleeding. you ever see scanners? It's the same kind of thing. <laughs> well, we've been in scanners. He's yeah. Well, no, I guess you're right. <laughs> uh-huh. But this is way dramatic. It, yeah, I think it's dramatic. Scanners too. <laughs> he gets him to not notice that these people are like chasing after them, and he gets him to see one dollar bill as a five hundred dollar bill. Uh huh. Now, they don't, they kind of just skip over that real fast in the movie. I like in the book, uh, they have the $1 bill that the government does. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just a $1 bill, but when they put it up close to them, they, for a, for a moment, they can see the $500 So there's bill. some sort of residual psychic effect attached to the actual object? Yes. Interesting. And what's really funny is that they talk about it and they're like, hey, wait a minute. Is Ben Franklin on the $500 bill? (laughs) And then they're like, hey, wait a minute. Does Ben Franklin have glasses on in the the bill? And it's really funny because, let's see, he doesn't. So Uh that's really... I I also did not know that there was a $500 bill. Yeah, it's not exactly common. No. I do have written down here as my first note. Good Lord, she's so good. Uh, Drew Barrymore? Yes. Mm -hmm. Like right away. I was like... And again... To be clear, it's not because she's precocious like your Dakota Fannings, right? It's it's because she acts as an eight-year-old very well. Even younger than that. Right. She seems younger than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was coming with you, and I saw it before I could stop it. It just happened. I didn't like him, and it just got away. It's okay, honey. It's okay. But I set him on fire. Charlie. I didn't mean it, Charlie, stop it. So he gets the cabbie to take them on a long drive. I think in the movie they're going to the airport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And the cabbie's like, I'm, I don't go out to the airport. <laughs> yeah. He falls asleep and we get to see a flashback to when he met Drew Barrymore's mother. Mm-hmm. Heather Locklear. Heather Locklear, ladies and gentlemen, in her first film role. There is a god. Heather be thy name. Heather Locklear, just fucking gorgeous as ever. Is at this drug test for $200. Uh-huh. In the book, the reason she knows about it is because her boyfriend, she has a boyfriend, uh-huh. is a science student at this school. And he tells her about it. But then he finds out that it's super dangerous. And then he forbids her from doing it. So because he forbids her from doing it, she breaks up with him and does it anyway. Uh huh. And what they're told in the movie is that, yeah, half of you will get water. Half of you will get water plus this lot six thing. Yes. Which will induce like a mild hallucinogenic trip is is what they tell them. But the truth is everyone is getting yes. this drug. And while Heather Locklear... And David Keith are going to be flirting and talking psychically to each other on the hospital bed. Yes. Uh, she's like, what a nice compliment. You said that my hair was copper caught on fire. Uh-huh. And he's like, I never said that. I thought it. You said my hair is beautiful. Like copper set on fire. Yeah. I didn't say that. I just thought it. And if you're thinking... Copper hair on fire. That sounds like the poem yes, from it. From it, yes. yes. Uh-huh. Your hair is winter fire. January embers. My heart burns there too. Yes, it does. It does. It sounds a lot like it. <laughs> Stephen King has a thing, right? Um while they're flirting with each other and you know, going goo-goo eyes over each other, literally every other person in that study is Going insane. Yeah. One guy claws his eyes out. Yes. And they don't even glance over at all the other people. No, they see it, but they're too fucked up to care. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not it's not a thing for them. Back to the present. We see the men that are following Andy and Charlie. And they say, you know, if he overdoes it, if he overuses his ability, it might kill him. And the other guy goes, let's hope. They want him dead. They want him out of the way. The yeah. only thing that matters is Charlie. Yeah, in a way, some people do. But other people recognize that the good thing about having Andy around is he keeps Charlie's powers in check. But they also recognize that he is slowly letting her use her powers. Uh-huh. And yeah. they're like, oh, shit. If he starts to tell them, tell her that it's okay to use her powers, yeah. then she becomes dangerous. And so the guy who originally did the study now just wants to kill both of them. Because mm-hmm. he's like, well, the dude is unimportant. He's useless. So yeah. let's kill him. The girl is way too powerful once she hits puberty, she's going to just go nuts. She could kill us all. We need to kill her now. Yeah. And they're like, she's a little girl. And she can barely start fires. We're not going to fucking kill her. We're going to test her and see if we can use her. If we can't use her, then we'll kill her. Mm-hmm. Is how they feel. So, I mean, yeah, I like that this movie sort of starts in media res. And he's already escaped with her. And it's like, wow, that's already happened. And then they just do flashbacks throughout to sort of catch you up to speed. So they are at the airport and dad is not feeling good. No, he's been using his powers too much. Mm -hmm. So he asks 
Drew to go and get money for him mm-hmm. by getting money from payphones. Yeah, which uh-huh. we couldn't do now. But no. Plus, I think now people would be like, "Why are you paying in coins? <laughs> Just a sack full of coins." <laughs> <laughs> but as she's walking around without her dad, she sees this soldier guy uh, being a dick to his girlfriend. Now, this is in the in the film. It is him berating this pregnant girl and saying it's not his and all that. In the novel, he's literally just thinking about how much he doesn't care about his girlfriend. Yeah. And she sets him on fire. So, like, in the book, he's making it obvious that she has psychic abilities. Uh Not so here. Yeah. Because at, at, at least at this point in the movie, you'll get it a little bit later. But, like, the whole point is that she's pyrokinetic. Not that she's any other kind of power, like telepathic or... Well, here she can predict things. She can say, I can feel them coming. I know they're... Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, at least not in this moment. Yeah. They will sort of drip feed you these things where it's like, does she have more than just control over fire? Yes, she does. She's inherited stuff from her parents. And this is sort of the combination of those two things. The way it's described in the book, I remember, is she's Y, he's an X, and she, Charlie, is a Z. She's a completely third thing that's a result of the mother and the father that is now like a new thing that we can't understand just by understanding the parents. So that's what that pyrokinesis is. So how do you feel about the wind and her hair and the sweat? Okay, so I kind of love it. I think it's great. Yeah. I think that I wish that they did. I wish it wasn't so obvious that it's just a fan, like, just right right beneath her face. Right. Like, I wish it felt more slow. I felt, I wish it was more like a, like a breeze through the the tendrils of her hair and it slowly picks up, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of just, you you can just tell that's what they're doing. Uh And that sucks. But I like the idea. Apparently, that was Stephen King's idea. Well, in the novel, he describes a hot wind starts. Yeah, but apparently it was his idea to literally put a fan on her in the movie. (laughs) Uh, I have. I'll have a comment about that later at the end. So I think it's fine, and I think that Drew Barrymore does a really good job of showing that she's getting hotter for a little girl. I thought she did a good yes, job. Yes, I'm telling you, she's great. But so she sets this dude on fire, and he runs and set. It's only on his feet, right? Uh-huh. So he runs into the bathroom and he puts his feet in the toilet, and he's fine. But. She is freaking out because she's just like, oh, my God. I did a bad thing. I did I a hurt really that bad man. Thing. And and she's like, it's just like the time when I set mommy on fire. Yeah. So she had once set her mother's hands on fire. And it was because she was a little girl. Uh-huh. Who got mad. Scaring the little girl. She's a little girl who got fucking mad. And couldn't control her anger, and her mother's hands got set on fire. Not what they give you in the fucking remake. Uh Uh-huh. Where it is a conscious decision, and she is trying to get her father. What? Yeah, uh uh-huh. She misses. It hits the mom instead. Which, I'm just like, that is so much worse. 
cares? It's also unclear in this movie because it's like, yeah, okay, that's like she hurt her mom. But it's almost like they're telling you, maybe even by accident, I mean telling you by accident, that she killed her mom. Because her mom's not here. We get the impression that her mom is dead. And I feel like, if not, they're being very confusing at this point. Later on, she actually says something about killing her mom. But she didn't really hurt that guy. It's not like I hurt mommy in the kitchen. Oh, baby. Baby, you've got to stop thinking about that. It wasn't you that really hurt mommy. It wasn't you that... They killed her. She feels like it's her fault because she used her powers, which caused them to right. know that she was there, and she ca- they came and killed her mother. But it's a point of confusion when it seems like, especially when she hurt her mom directly using her powers, then she killed her mom. And so you're like, okay, she killed her mom using her powers. And then we're going to see in a flashback up here that that's not the case, and the movie never addresses it again. And it's like... What what happened there? Like, I yes, I'm smart enough to be able to figure that out. But, like, it's weird that the movie just sort of leaves that hanging. I guess it's just because I, I watched the remake and I've read some of the book that I yeah. know that that's what happened. Uh-huh. So I don't know if... It, I never know if it's all bleeding together at this point. Right, totally. And that's going to be a problem with double features. <laughs> and then throw in the book. But he... Yeah. No, but the dad full-on says it wasn't you that killed her here. Yeah, but it feels like a, you know, it's not your fault because you can't control it kind of thing. Mm. Anyway, that's just the impression I got at the beginning, not knowing anything about it. There's a problem with using a kid. So, like, I couldn't tell at one point if it was Drew Barrymore that was laughing or if it was the character that was laughing. It's a teeny tiny tiny moment but it's during the scene where she sets her mom's hands on fire Mm -hmm. and she's talking to her dad and he says something and she kind of like gives like like a half smile half laugh Uh and then it goes away and i was like Uh i don't know if that was drew barrymore or the actor or the character yeah but yes and andy gets a nosebleed whenever he uses his power and i'm just like i've never heard anyone compare that to stranger things that's insane. I'm sure it's been in some YouTube video we've watched or whatever. Maybe. But yeah, they do kidnap his daughter for a little bit mm-hmm. uh, after they kill the mother. But he got her back. The daughter. Yeah, he got Charlie back. Yeah, so they, they kill the mom. Like, he just shows up one day and she's lying in, like, the ironing board cupboard or whatever in their kitchen or what. Something like that. It was weird. The pantry, maybe. She's, like, stuffed somewhere, and I think she got shot in the head or something. And then the neighbor comes running out, and the neighbor is, like, bleeding from her ear and, like, the side of her face. It's like, who? What? Oh, I thought it was... Or was that the the babysitter? Wiped her sister's mind, is what I wrote. Oh, so she was there. That was their house. Mm -hmm. Because it's just weird. He looks over to the side. It looks like maybe a neighbor's house, but it might be their house now that I think about it. And she just comes running out and there's like blood gushing out of her head. And it's like, who? What? Well, he he says, I think what happened is they were trying to blame the sister for Mm. the murder. I think they were trying to just say that she And they were in the middle of wiping her mind or something? Well, no. I think that he says at some point, you made her think that she had done it. That she had killed her sister. I I didn't pick up on that. And then that's why he wipes her mind. He does it. Yeah. He says, you're going to go inside and you're going to forget any of this happened. Uh Uh-huh. And then she just turns and walks inside. And it's, I think it's a well done moment. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And then we get a cut back to the present. And I was like, oh, my God, Michael Douglas. Oh, my God, George C. Scott. Oh, my God, this guy. And I couldn't I couldn't remember. Oh, the guy who plays the doctor. Uh, yeah, so I don't think we, we mentioned him by name, but Dr. Joseph Wanless is played by Freddie Jones, who was in a lot of things. Dune, the original Dune movie, Count of Monte Cristo, The Elephant Man. He's also been in over 200 things, so I'm not going to go down the list. <laughs> but yes, he is also in this movie. And can I just say, we are in Captain Hollister's office. Martin Sheen. And for whatever reason, whether it's the director of photography or the director, they chose a wide-angle lens <laughs> in an interior set, and it is fucking infuriating. They just will not stop using this. And it's almost like, you know how in, uh, maybe you don't, in the Batman TV show, the 66 TV show, every time villains are on camera and they're being all villainy, they use Dutch angles yes. to like represent their twistedness. Yes. I almost feel like that's what he's going for. There's supposed to be some sort of unease about this because it gets a subtle like fisheye effect and no lines are straight because it's cramming a really wide angle so much content that you would not normally be able to see and and it's shoving it into this frame so you see a lot more stuff but it distorts lines and things like that and it gives you almost a fisheye effect and he uses it all the time around Martin Sheen but it's not exclusively Martin Sheen I don't think but several times I write down Stop it with the wide angle lens. It's infuriating because it's it's unsettling, but not in a fun and clever way. It's just like it feels gross. It feels like, God, you're going to give me a headache. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have noticed. It's bothersome to me. And he uses it a bunch. And like this entire scene, which is not short, is in a <laughs> wide angle shot. And it's like, Jesus. I noticed it when you said it and then it went away. <laughs> it was not important to my eyes. But what's important about this scene here in the captain's office? Well, the doctor is telling Martin Sheen that they need to kill these people because they're too dangerous. And he's he Martin Sheen is like, "What the hell? He's just a little she's just a little girl." And he's like, "You just feel guilty." Yeah. Maybe because well, we no, caused this. He's trying to say you should feel guilty. Like, yeah, you're just feeling guilty and good. You should feel guilty. But his thing is he doesn't want them harnessing her power, trying to capture her alive. He thinks she's dangerous. She could be a nuclear bomb for all we know when she gets older. And you've got to shut it down like now. Armageddon. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so when he's like, I'm going to report you if you try to do this and not just eliminate her or whatever. And then he leaves. Rainbird's going to kill him. Rainbird. Yeah. This is uh, George C. Scott. With a ponytail. Which... Playing, I guess, somebody with Native American heritage. Yes. Uh, in the book, he is Native American. So, and he is yeah. literally Native American in the remake, which is at least an improvement. But that said, sucks they got a white guy to play this role. But it's George C. Scott. Being a weirdo. Being incredibly compelling. Like, really, really compelling. I... Fucking love George C. Scott in this movie. You weirdo. He is. He's very weird. And you're also like, is this a pedophile thing? Yes. Like, it 
It's not, but like he gives off that vibe. It's super weird. Well, at least in the new movie in the book, the idea is that he was experimented on. Yeah, so, he's not like, experimented on in this movie. Right. So like this just feels like a pedophile. He's just an <laughs> expert killer. And that's what he does. And he is fascinated with this little girl. And then we'll find out later what he intends to do is he intends to strangle the life out of her while looking into her eyes. And then he will surely die in the process. Yes, he knows she's going to kill him. And then he's hoping that he'll carry that power over into the next world or whatever. And when John feels that she has reached the moment of her greatest happiness, he will strike her across the bridge of the nose, breaking it explosively and sending bone fragments into her brain. It'll be quick. And he'll be looking at her face at the time. He will know her power. And when he dies... Which I hope is very soon. Perhaps he can take that power with him into the other world. It's weird. It's bizarre. But it's and fucking George C. Scott doing an incredible job. And Martin Sheen's response of, you're fucking crazy. Is he great. does say that. He calls him crazy. You are crazy. It's hilarious. But he basically tells Rainbird to kill Dr. Wanless because he is a liability at this point. Because, well, because he's like, no more experiments. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're going to keep doing these experiments. I'm going to report you. Yeah. And so how does George C. Scott kill Dr. Wanless, Kelsey? Do you remember? I don't. Oh, is this the karate chop? He karate chops a <laughs> dummy in bed <laughs> to death. It's so bad. It's a thing that happens. It's terrible. Like, it's not like, you know, the, the base of his palm... Up through the nose, shattering the skull and in, into his brain or whatever. It's not something dramatic and crazy like that. No, it's just shot of Wanless in bed, shot of George C. Scott. Karate chop. Karate chop. <laughs> and in the shot where there's a karate chop to the face, it's very obviously a dummy's head. It's really like, silly. And it just sort of like crumples in like rubber like. It's <laughs> terrible. But he karate chops him in the face to death. You now you know Rainbird's a fucking killer. Meanwhile, Andy and Charlie are staying with these people who picked them up while they were hitchhiking, which back when this was written wouldn't have been a big deal. But today, doesn't he use the money here in this movie? Isn't this where he does the money to Art Carney? He makes him think it's a one hundred dollar bill. Yes. So I think you're earlier with the cabbie. I think that's the new movie and the book. Because there is the cabbie in the no, new movie. No, he does the $500. He does it more than once. But yeah, it's Art Carney, who probably most famous was in the Star Wars Christmas special. No, uh, <laughs> was in The Honeymooners as the best friend character. Never seen it. To the Moon. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've never seen it. By the way, To the Moon, all you To the Moon folks out there, all you crypto freaks, whatever. <laughs> To the Moon actually is was originally popularized in The Honeymooners, and it was a metaphor for spousal abuse. So, so you know. Who doesn't know that? <laughs> I don't know. They use To the Moon as a thing about that's where they're, the, the stock prices are going to go. Oh. To the Moon. That's the, that's the limit of the profit you can make off of crypto. Wow. They're nuts. You should definitely know where that phrase comes from. Yeah, uh uh-huh. But so, he has picked them up, and he's an old man. 
And so you're pretty surprised when you meet his wife, who seems way younger than he is. Yes, Louise Fletcher playing Norma. So we have Irv and Norma. And she's just, like, so underutilized and not well-directed. and It's, it's bad. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, our Carney's fine. Yeah, he's fine. He's a defined character, for sure. And he goes through, like, changes in the brief time that we have him on screen. So they're very kindly, and they take them in. He figures out pretty quickly that their story is fake. Uh-huh. And he asks him for the truth, and he tells him. But when Charlie comes back in, she is like, uh, I think they're coming, and I think they're going to kill you, Daddy. Yeah, we have this precognition thing. And it's pretty funny. She's getting all hot, and the butter starts to melt. Uh-huh. And everyone is starting to sweat. And then the government shows up. Yeah. She is instructed to, hey, we, like, Keep if, it in check. if they won't get oh, out yeah. of our way, uh-huh. yes, that's you're going to have to light light some people on fire. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, Which but she does. Really, no, really, the instigating incident is Irv comes out brandishing his gun, get off my land. And, you know, you don't have a warrant, then you need to, you know, leave. I want you to get the hell off my property. We're government agents, sir. These two folks are wanted for questioning, nothing more. I don't care if they're wanted for assassinating the president. Show me a warrant or get the hell off my land. We don't need a warrant. You do unless I woke up in Russia this morning. And they're like, well, we don't have to do shit. We're a powerful government agency. And he's right. like, that's an encroachment. You know, it's he's that kind of guy. He's like, I don't care what happened. The government, it's overreach. They're coming onto my land. They're trying to take something by force and fuck them. That's why I have this gun, and I'm going to take some folks out. But he doesn't. Instead, they shoot him, and that's what sets Drew Barrymore off, because she likes Irv. And she fucking sets everybody on fire. And when they try to leave, she blows the cars up. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And they, they suggest that, like... It's weird. It's like it's her ability, but she has very little control over it. It's a it's, it's a different thing. It's a different living entity as far as she's concerned. Like the Phoenix almost. Yes, it's very much like the Phoenix Force from X-Men. Yeah. Despite the fact that it, like it doesn't take her over or anything like that, but it's right. a se- it has separate desires and a separate will. Well, it is concentrated on the things that make her mad, but uh-huh. even when she wants to st- I mean, I think everyone can relate to you're so mad. Mm-hmm. You don't you, feel like yourself. You do and say things yeah, even uh-huh. though you don't want to. Like, you keep telling yourself, stop, stop it, it, stop mm-hmm. it, stop it. But you keep doing those things. Yeah. And I think that's a very real thing. And mm-hmm. if you had the ability to set fires because of that anger, I do believe that that would happen. And so she has, but it's, it's kind of silly. Do you know where, do you remember what she has to do to get rid of it? Well, she has to put it in the water. That's one way. Yeah, yeah. that's what she did. Like she, it's like her, she's physically putting the power in the water. But do you remember, she just constantly says, Back off, back off. No, you're not going to do it. Back off. It's not great. (laughs) It's fine. She's a little kid. And she's telling this, this power to back away, despite the fact that it's not like personified in any other way. It's just personified in her understanding of it. I really like the music during this scene. It's very groovy. Okay, here's the thing. I wrote down in our Discord that Tangerine Dream is a low-key star of the movie. Because they very much are. This is a killer soundtrack. (laughs) This is a great 
soundtrack. It's pretty good. Yes. It's at, at least. Good. I loved the soundtrack. I was vibing the whole time. <laughs> Certain songs are really, yeah, standouts, and this is one of them. Yeah. But so Ratchet is, like, pissed, and she's like, get the fuck out of here. Take our car and leave. Get away, is the way she keeps saying. Get away. Uh-huh. Not, it's just, it's, these moments aren't great, you know? But it's not like she's like, you you frightened us, get out of here. But it's more like, you need to you need to get safe, and you won't be safe here anymore. Maybe. I thought it was more you're making us unsafe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'm remembering it wrong. So George C. Scott, so he kills the doctor, uh-huh. tells Martin Sheehan, I uh, want the kid when we're done. Yeah, when we're done, I get the kid. And Martin Sheehan's just like, okay. Because when are they going to be done? It's so weird. But he does sort of get the kid in a kind way. Kind of. He ends up killing a postman, which I was just like, that was unnecessary. Yeah. But um, that's how he basically tracks them down to this cabin on a lake. Now you might be thinking... Hey, wait a minute. Why can't she feel his intent? But she could feel their intent. And I thought about it, and I'm like, maybe it's because there were so many people coming before. Yeah, it was but, a, stronger, a stronger feeling. But also, George C. Scott, Rainbird, has this, like, stronger, like, will. He has this stronger control. He's very zen-like. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he just doesn't twitch her radar. Maybe. You know? But yeah, he, he comes and he... He shoots her first from the tree line. Oh, my God. This is so stupid. He shoots her. Yes. And then Andy just sits there crying over her. Yeah, and doesn't, like, doesn't grab her. her and doesn't immediately hide himself. Shelter, doesn't nothing. jump into the water. Like, nothing. And so he has time to reload his dart gun and then shoots him, too. It's very obnoxious. The important thing is nobody knew there was danger until Charlie was already because Charlie never sees Rainbird, and that's going to be important later. Yes. So Andy wakes up, and he's being talked to by the guy from The NeverEnding Story. Oh, right. <laughs> the guy who gives Atreyu his mission. Yeah, that's Moses Gunn that I mentioned earlier as Dr. Pinchot. As, as soon as he got on camera, I was yes. like, uh -huh. NeverEnding Story? <laughs> <laughs> and this is a bit part. He's like the last surviving member in he's like the last living fantasian aside from no he just works for right the childlike prince yes but the childlike empress is left and atreyu is left and he is left well, there, no, this is the very beginning right of but the he's also at the end is he at the yeah end? Oh. until only the childlike empress is left and bastion and ba well he's not a fantasian bastion Say my name. So this is part of the conversation you'll hear if you're a Patreon subscriber. Is The NeverEnding Story a child horror movie? Does it qualify? The nothing is pretty hey, terrifying. Uh, uh, they have to pay. <laughs> but so he's like, I'm going to make sure that you're treated well while you're here. And it's like, uh... Then why am I being kept against my will? Why right. am I being But they're trying to say, listen, drugged up. You don't like this power. It's killing you. We can suppress it if you just take our medication. Like they're they're behaving like, yes, we have to keep you separate from your daughter for everyone's sake, but we can still help you. That's well, how they're framing it. By forcing him to take pills. Right, but he's acting like he wants it. 
Mm-mm. They, yes, he very later much on he does. Yeah, uh-huh. but not at first. Oh yeah, no, I mean not when they first introduce it. He's he's upset because of his daughter, not about the suppression. So they're trying to like sweet talk Drew Barrymore. They're trying to get her dolls and toys, but nothing works. The only thing that works is George C. Scott. Pretending to be on her side as a cleaning guy. Yeah. Because she has like a hotel suite that she lives in, basically. And yeah, he comes in as like the maid and builds a rapport with her. And see, for most of the rest of the movie, as far as she's concerned, he's just like the kindly janitor guy, you know, like that's and they, they get along really well and they bond and it's really great. And any other movie would have saved the fact that he was actually Rainbird for some sort of twist reveal at the end. And they don't do that here. And I think for the best, because it is much more unsettling watching George C. Scott sort of like work his magic, knowing what his intentions are and what's going on behind his eyes. It's creepy. And knowing that it's working. So knowing ahead of time is far more valuable than anything you can get by just making it a twist at the end. But I feel like some other worse movie would have made it a twist. So I'm glad that they didn't do that. I'm glad that they told you right up front who he was, what he was capable of, what he was like, and what he wanted. That was awesome. I thought they did a really good job with that. Yes, it does make him creepy throughout the film. I will say in the interrogation room and in one of the testing rooms, I think, more of that wide angle lens. Didn't notice. But so they convince Andy that if he does the tests for them, he might get to see his daughter. So he does. But with all the pills they've been giving him, it suppresses his ability. So he is no longer a able to do it so they're like well now he's useless so we can probably just kill him yeah but we find out that he hasn't been taking the medication later on he stops taking Uh it because he's like oh shit i can't do it because of the medication he puts two and two together Uh as well so he stops taking it yes but they are not aware of that Mm -hmm. they test her throughout all this process they keep bringing her in for tests they want her to set some wood chips on fire and she has a great line she says, Wood chips. They should have given me something harder. <laughs> Does she say that? She says that, yeah. And we get to see her put the power in the water because there's like a bath there. Back off, just back off. Back off. Give me the tub. Back off. Did you see the water in that tub boil and the temperature gradient? Did we get the audio? We got it. We did? Good deal. My God, did you see what she did? Yeah. Well, she also says she needs more water at well, some point. Well, yeah, because it, it's a little bit too much out of control. There's that scene where she sets an entire cinder block wall on fire, and then it explodes. And I gotta say, the in-camera effect of all of that was really impressive. I thought that that was a lot of fun. Really, really enjoyed it. And this whole entire time, we got this awesome synth soundtrack, which you know I'm a sucker for, from Tangerine Dream. But yeah, she says, or Captain says, or somebody says, she put her power in the tub. And I like that she has to wrangle her power, like almost physically. That's a really cool idea. Yes, I think it is very cool. I like that scene too. I just hate the back off. Just back Back off. off. Like she has to intimidate her power. Mm -hmm. But really, I think it's more that she's psyching herself up to control it. There's some really uncomfortable scenes when, like, George C. Scott, like I said, is being creepy. Like, 
I think he makes the lights go out so that he can pretend to be afraid of the dark yes. so she can comfort him. Yeah. And she's wearing this gymnast outfit. It's so bizarre it's, that she's in like these gym tights. It's really uncomfortable. Like it's just like, what is this? Right, and he, but like, again, there's hand on her knee. And that's like, that's us putting our own shit putting, onto the situation. I know, the whole because they didn't think about that stuff. Right. When they made it was this. it was fatherly or grandfatherly like that's what it was about and and they weren't thinking yes it was creepy but they weren't thinking about sexually creepy but that's a vibe we get now mm-hmm. you know yeah for sure it's very very weird but here's the thing i think it was benjamin franklin said this somebody said this if you want to make somebody like you have them do a favor for you not the other way around don't do a favor for them have them do a favor for you because if you can convince them to do something for you, like I think Benjamin Franklin or whoever it was said, like lend you a book, something that might put them out a little bit even, that you think might annoy them. If you can convince them to do that, they will convince themselves that they like you because they've done a favor for you. Therefore, you must be somebody that they like. And so even if it annoys them to do it, once they've done it, you've sort of like crossed a threshold in your relationship with them. And that's kind of what he's doing here by getting her to comfort him is sort of accelerate that affection process. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but what he actually says is uh, that he wants to make her happier than she's ever been before. Then he wants to break her nose specifically. Yeah, like he did with Dr. Wanless. And then feel her power as she kills him. This is what he says. He says, when... She has reached the moment of her greatest happiness. I will strike her across the bridge of her nose, breaking it explosively and sending bone fragments into her brain. It'll be quick and I'll be looking at her face at the time. I will know her power. And when I die, which I hope is very soon, perhaps I can take that power with me into the other world. And this is when Captain Hollister says, you are crazy. Yeah. Because he asks him, Captain Hollister is like, when we find out all we need to know from her, when, and Rainbird says, when you give her to me, <laughs> he's like, oh, what are you going to do with her? <laughs> and this is what he says he's going to do. Yeah. Hollister's like, dude, you're crazy, man. <laughs> you're crazy. You're crazy, man. You're crazy. So the father, Andy, hasn't been taking his pills, so now he's able to make a plan. He uses his ability to push. He's going to get people to help him escape and with his Especially Captain Hollister. Everything is working out until she fucking tells her good friend, George C. Scott, about I'm gonna, the plan. I'm going to meet my daddy at the barn. So George C. Scott is like, oh, hell no, you're not. And he hides in the barn. Yeah, uh-huh. To effectively, I guess, kill them? Kill them, yeah. Uh-huh. It's just so funny the way that Martin Sheen acts under his control. Like, he has completely succumbed to Andy's push, right? And so he's just like, oh, yeah, don't don't forget about Rainbird. He's, he's, he's out there. He's fucking with her. He's fucking with your daughter. How'd you get Charlie to cooperate with the experiments? Rainbird got her to do it. Who's Rainbird? He's an agent, an exterminator. And Charlene thinks he's an orderly named John. And then, like, when they see him, he's like, that, that's him right there. That's Rainbird. Like, it's just, he's just so casual. It's so great. Yes. It's, there. like, there's a little bit of him that's like, no. And then. Yes, and he, he says that as him. he's getting, I won't do. 
Yeah, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. And if you're thinking, hey, this is around the same time as, like, the Dead Zone, I'm like, yes. Was Martin Sheen a Stephen He was a King villain fan? in two Stephen King movies. I think that was because, yes, he was a Stephen King fan, yeah. Awesome. Once Drew Barrymore is shown and proved that he that George C. Scott is a bad guy, she's like, fine, I'll just light him on fire. And George C. Scott's like, I know you could, but we're in the horse stalls. And Necromancer, your favorite horse, is right down there. So funny that her favorite horse is named Necromancer. And he's like, it means like wizard or sorcerer. <laughs> yeah, of the dead. <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, I know you're not going to do that. And she's like, shit, you're right. So then later, when she does set the barn on fire, I guess it's so concentrated that, like, none of the horses are, are hurt, and then she does set them free. But I'm like, couldn't you have set them free first? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically what she does is she melts the hinges on and the locks on their stalls, and they're able to get out. Oh, right. Daddy gets shot. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. he dies. <laughs> and he dies, and that pisses her off so much that she immediately is like, fuck you, Rainbird, and like sends a fireball his way that's more powerful than any of the others, engulfs him in flames and slams him up against the back of the barn, killing him immediately, and he never gets to I mean he dies witnessing that power, but he doesn't die killing her and taking her power. Right. So when they start to show up, they do they come in waves, the government men do. And when they first start firing bullets at her, she stops them. Well, they bounce off of her. Bullets come at her one at a time. And they bounce off of an invisible force field that does this like, fire That's what happens when she's thing. walking. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I thought that was actually pretty cool. But I wrote down, I just don't understand why these people think they can control this girl. Yeah. Uh -huh. I love that they just keep showing up and keep firing bullets. It's like, oh... I know that if I do it, it'll be different from all the other people that have done it and died. Yeah. Like, uh -huh. it's just silly at that point, but it's just a way to continue to have what I think are pretty cool special effects of people being lit on fire, fireballs, people are exploding and being thrown all over the place on fire, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. Like, I really liked how much practical effects they had in this movie. But she gets out. Oh, and the music during all of this yes. is pretty great. Telling you, the Tangerine Dream soundtrack is great. When she looks back at all her destruction that she's created, she's like, for you, daddy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she's gone crazy. This is not good. She is definitely a danger to us all. <laughs> but then at the very end, they decide to show that she goes back to the people on the farm. She goes back to Irv. Who apparently are fine and not being watched by the government anymore. Right. Yeah, like, that doesn't make any sense. But I do like the idea that she goes back to, like, this, this sort of fatherly, grandfatherly figure that that's legitimate, unlike George C. Scott. And then they take her. So this is why he killed the postman, is because they put a bunch of letters explaining everything and exposing the government in a mailbox, and then George C. Scott watched the mailman pick those up and then killed him and destroyed the letters, and I think used the letters to find him. So, so now they're going to go So nobody is going to find source. out from the letters. Yeah, so instead, Irv and Norma take Charlie to the New York Times. I'm doing it, Daddy. I'm doing it for you. The Grey Lady. The New York Times. 
You got to spell it with an A because it's American and not E, which is English. I always spell it with an E. So do I. It's a much better way to spell it. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, because probably because Webster needed to be different. I think that was the whole deal. I think it was Webster that changed a bunch of words, changed a bunch of S's to Z's and shit. Anyway, aren't enough Z's in the English language. That's how we'll make America different. Uh, anyway, because the New York Times is the bastion of truth and justice, just like it is today. You can't see it, but my eyes are rolling so far. They've plopped out of my skull. <laughs> yeah, it's the end of the movie. That's how it ends. It ends with, oh, well, they're at the New York Times, so everything's going to be okay. <laughs> and then the movie's over with. Mm-hmm. Kelsey, what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to guess an 82. Well, you're going to be disappointed because it's 37. Oh, my gosh. I thought I was going a little high. Firestarter's concept hues too closely to other known Stephen King adaptations, though it's got nice special effects, including scenery-chewing George C. Scott. A little bit. I might say he's scenery-chewing, but yeah, no, it's great. They, they do describe it as a good thing, a positive thing. <laughs> I agree. Has a Metacritic of 50. Apparently, Stephen King hated the movie. In an interview on Flashback Files... Mark Lester, the director, is quoted as saying, I knew he hated The Shining because that movie was not his book. But in the case of Firestarter, he approved the script. He even worked on it. He was on set and we talked about everything we were doing. He loved everything. The one thing that he especially criticized, the wind blowing through Drew Barrymore's hair, that was his idea to begin with. At that time, he practically hated every movie that was made from any of his books. Finally, Dino, Dino De Laurentiis, who produced it, got so fed up with him that he said, okay, you direct your own movie. Well, that was the absolute worst Stephen King film ever. So there you go. (laughs) That was maximum overdrive. Mm -hmm. But he's a great writer, and I don't want to get into a fight with him. (laughs) The interviewer in that article says, King still talks about how much he hates Kubrick's The Shining. It's like an obsession. To which Lester says, yeah, it's really weird, probably because it's considered a great film. But, you know, you can't take this stuff personally. So Lester figures that the reason he hates The Shining is because The Shining is a celebrated film that's not his story. It deviates so much and people like it. What does that say about his original story? (laughs) And now there's Firestarter, which is very close to the original story. And so much so that he was involved in the creation of it, and it didn't do well. What does that say about his original source story? Feels like that's maybe why he gets mad at these things? I don't know. I can't say for certain this isn't a wide analysis of every single movie that Stephen King has ever done. But still, it's an interesting thought. Did you ever find a quote of him saying he didn't like it? No, this is the director saying he didn't like it. Okay, so there's But no, I did find that quote. Right, but there's no quote of, of Stephen King saying he doesn't like it. Oh, I'm it. sure. I didn't look for it. I'm sure it does, but I think quote from the director saying the, the author didn't like my movie is probably right. <laughs> I don't know why he would make that up. <laughs> Interestingly, John Carpenter, who was originally going to direct... And didn't after The Thing in 1982 bombed. He would, in 1983, direct Christine, which is one of our favorite King adaptations. Christine Christine is fantastic. 
I thought people would have liked this because of the cast. Yeah, I don't know why it has such a bad score. Like, I can't put my finger on it. It's really low. Yeah. Do you think, uh, so you think it's underrated? Very underrated. What do you think it should have? What is your score for Firestarter? 1984. I'm going to give it a 73. Yes, I was going to go low 70s too. I think this definitely qualifies as a 70s uh, score. It's not great. I wish there was better direction. I wish that I got a better performance from Jude Barrymore. I wish I got a better performance from Nurse Ratchet. I wish that... Post-production effects were better. That he didn't use that fucking wide-angle lens. That stuff didn't bother me. People did not like David Keith in the role. As Andy? Yeah. I thought he was fine. I thought maybe he overdid it a little bit when it's he was w- doing his thing. It's but- weird because he looks a little sinister, like in his his facial features. Oh. It's not, I mean, in a you could use that to your benefit. I think he looks awesome. He's a handsome guy. But, like, he doesn't look like a caring father type, you know? I I, I honestly think that... Zac Efron in the new movie does a much better job of being fatherly, like a much better job. So yeah, I may I can see why people would not like David Keith in this. Hmm. Not Keith David. What are you giving it? I mean, I was probably going to give it like a 72, but you know, you say 73 and it just sounds good. <laughs> I'll, I'll also give it a 73. Okay. I was worried that you would go closer to the 50s. I mean, I was thinking maybe a 69, but... No, oh, I think this this creeps up into the 70s. I would say that this is... The more I one talked about it, King the more I thought about the things I liked. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe that, that does affect our score for sure, thinking about, like, the meta, is that we don't necessarily score things right after we watch it. Mm-hmm. We watch it, and then a couple days later, especially with the older movies, the classic films, because we watch them in order. We watch the classic on one night. We watch the modern on another night. And then we record on two separate days after that. So it can be days after we see the movie, we talk it through and then we give it a score kind of on the spot. So having that distance and talking about the movie, what stood out to us, reminding the things that were important to us at the time when we watched it, but also giving us the perspective of being able to look back on it. I think that does sort of color what we give it. Mm -hmm. I think for the better. Not always. Not always. Not when we watch Independence Day Resurgence. Right. No, but I mean like (laughs) to be more accurate, not necessarily to be a higher, you know, (laughs) like there are plenty of movies where it's like, yeah, I mean, I guess it was okay. And then, like, two days later, we're recording, and then we talk about it. And then by the end of our conversation, I'm like, good lord, that reminded me of everything I fucking hated about that movie. And then I give it a low score. <laughs> but no, I think this is definitely a, a good movie. So it, it deserves 70s. So, yeah, 73, I think, is good. That is our original film in this double feature. The late night. 1984's Firestarter, moving on to 2022, directed by Keith Thomas, of course, again, based on the novel by Stephen King, with a screenplay by Scott Teams, whose pretty much only other notable work is that he wrote Halloween Kills, that absolute dumpster fire of a film. (laughs) The movie stars Zac Efron, Ryan Kiera Armstrong, Sidney Lemon, Michael Grayeyes, Gloria Rubin, Kurtwood Smith, 
and John Beasley. Kelsey, what is Firestarter 2022 about? Same thing. Except it does not have the Janitor Rainbird subplot. Basically. And the ending's a little different. Yeah. And she's... Older. 10 slash 13. <sighs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> the movie is available with a subscription to Peacock, or you can rent it for $6 or buy it for 20 Kelsey, should people watch the modern Firestarter? Again, sure. I think that Zac Efron does a very good job. I think it is the not... Handsome, handsome man. Yes. Yes, he is. And apparently I think that he and Billy are the same person. <laughs> Like, Billy I thought Hargrove they looked a lot alike. They do look a lot alike, and then, but like, they're different. But then I full-on thought that it was Zac Efron in Elvis, and it was not. That's Dacker Montgomery is his name. Also, he's Australian. It's, it's Zac Efron with an Australian accent. <laughs> oh, my God. Sign me up. <laughs> I don't know. I am a little bit harsher on this one. Like I said at the top, I think this, and I mentioned it in our Discord, I think that it works better not as a readaptation of the book or the movie that you've seen before. If it just stood on its own and you saw it first, I think it stands up better. Mm-hmm. But in comparison to the original, it is smaller, and I don't mean time, I mean it just like it feels smaller, mm-hmm. but not more intimate. It is a smaller story, for sure. Yeah. Despite the fact that the father-daughter relationship, I think, is much more developed, the movie as a whole is not as intimate as the original. Well, it's just, they. it's almost like they don't want you to like Charlie in this version. Yes. Be- they want you to be a little bit scared of her. Which is dumb. Right. I don't I think, think I don't think that we're intellectually stunted so much that we can't hear the arguments that the government is making, the shop by the way is their name, that the shop is making in the original and not understand that yes they are making valid points. Yeah, yeah I think we get everyone it. Everyone understands that she's extremely dangerous. Yes, we understand. But the point is is that she's a fucking child. This is like no they're right. And you should be scared, and she should be exterminated. Mm-hmm. And then that leaves you thinking, it, it leaves you feeling weird at the end, when you're like, wait, how should I feel about this ending? You know, <laughs> like, should I feel good, bad, because of specifically what happens? What's going to come of this? I think you're supposed to feel ultimately optimistic about the ending. But it's weird. I will say that I did not like this as much as the original. Is it god-awful? No. No. They're cramming way too much content into way too small a box. And like I say, it feels smaller. It feels less intimate despite feeling smaller. And if you haven't seen the original and you did see this, I can understand really liking it. Anyway, but you're saying, yeah, maybe? Maybe. Sure. As valuable as that advice is, you can take it or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2022's Firestarter. Charlie. Bad men are after us. Burn it all down. There's a real life secret here. She will come for us all. The girl's power is growing. Please, I can help you. Liar, liar. Pants on fire. In 
Theaters Friday. Rated R. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Firestarter 2022 begin? Well, we meet the same exact family, except that this time we have Zac Efron playing the father. He's so dreamy. He is. <laughs> is the wife an unknown? Sydney Lemon is her name. She was in a Hulu series, Hellstrom. I guess she's in Succession, which, I'm sorry, guys, we totally bounced off of. <sighs> she's in one episode of Succession. Yeah, kind of an unknown. Okay. I'm sure people out there know her. She's in Fear the Walking Dead. Okay. And then do we know Charlie from anything? Has she ever been anything? Ryan Kiera Armstrong. She was in six episodes of American Horror Story last year. Oh, we didn't watch that season. We didn't. Uh, she was in Anne with an E, Minnie Mae Berry. Don't remember that character. And I only watched the first season, so if yeah. it was the second season, I didn't uh, see She it. was Victoria Fuller in It Chapter 2. Don't remember that character. Yeah, no. Here's the thing. Every time she screams, I think she's McKenna Grace. Who's that? She's the young Tanya in I, Tanya. Yes, yes. And she's in The Haunting of Hill House. Yes. Yes, That's she is. That's the same girl? It's not the same girl. That's my point. Oh, I was going to say. Every time don't... she does that, she looks like her. We disagree. I don't think she looks like no, her. No, when she's just straight faced, no. It's always when she screams. <laughs> it's like, this should have been McKenna Grace. I don't know why. I just like her. <laughs> but so we meet them and it turns it's, turns out that we're watching a dream. Yeah, because the dream ends because little baby Charlie, her like head bursts into fire. flames. Yes. <laughs> Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's definitely a jump scare for sure. Yeah. In the first five seconds of the film. Mm -hmm. So she's older in this film. I Do they ever say how old? They just keep asking. Is she? Does she have her period? And it's like, no. Yeah, so she's think, not starting puberty yet, right? Like, I think maybe she must be like 10 in this. Yeah, but I mean, she could be 11, 12. Somewhere in there. And remember. Remember that the original is supposed to be seven. Yeah. So that make for me that made a big difference. No, the a big big problem with this, and we're gonna spoil like something towards the end. But I mean, who who gives a shit? Is that she gets like I'm the badass vindicator, you know, sort of I'm gonna save you, Dad, and then everyone can fucking burn. <laughs> Puts her hoodie up like she's fucking emo or some shit. It's so goddamn annoying. <sighs> I hate it. I hate that they made her older. It's much more interesting when you're dealing with a little kid. Now, that said, every single time you think about this little kid and, like, screaming, oh, this is what I want, and then sets her mom's hands on fire, like, all that is interesting. Imagine when she's a teenager, right? Like, yes, I think that is an interesting – well, it's a comment to be made, I don't think it's an interesting thing to watch. One of the most insufferable things in the world is watching a teenager be indignant. It is not <laughs> interesting. It is not compelling. And then you give them superpowers, I'm less interested. I can see that. And I I feel that the problem is that the book is and the original are right because you would have had to deal with this with her as a child. Like, the fact that they just got yeah. through her childhood without right. this being a problem is kind of ridiculous. What's the movie The movie where all the kids get the superpowers, the teenagers get superpowers, and it's found footage? I don't remember what it's called, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Why can't I think about. of that fucking movie? It spawned a lot of stars. Chronicle. Chronicle, thank you. Yes. It spawned a lot of young stars out of that movie, right? But, like, that is interesting 
because we have one character that we see grow sort of evil over time. It's really sad. And you really like him at the beginning of the film. But he's combated by his friends who are trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, so that's, there's an interesting dynamic there. Is if, if, if it's just a teenager yelling at her parents and it's fucking insufferable and now she can light things on fire, not interested. At least Chronicle gave me an interesting dynamic, you know? But so, this dream wakes Zac Efron up and he goes downstairs to the kitchen and there is his daughter playing with a lighter and she is upset because she's like, you said you quit. Which is a weird thing because they never bring it up again that he used to smoke. I, I, like, I figured he'd smoke at some point during the film, but it never happens. Right. Why, but why fact, do it's that? Just because, so they can have a lighter and they can have a conversation about fire. But so she says, I'm getting worried. I'm starting to feel it stronger. And he's like, wait, it hasn't come back in a long time. Yeah. Just remember your tools. And I guess her tools are that, like, she says the things that are around her to calm her down. Yeah. And it's which is not an uncommon tactic. Where's my back off? Just yeah, back off. Back off. Put it in the water. (laughs) Put it in the tub. Put the power in the tub. So then his wife wakes up. Yes, the wife is alive in this movie. We're going to get a lot of the mother in this film. Yeah, but she dies the same way, right? Don't remember. We'll have to get to my yeah, notes. Yeah, where, where what do my notes say about that? Uh, this, I, don't know. I did not go through my notes before we did. We this. also get we also get a little bit more of like in the in the title sequence, we get a little bit more of like a flashback to what it was like during the interview phase of the experiment. And we see Wanless, who we don't get to actually we don't see him. We don't get to see who Wanless is, but we hear him interviewing them and we see them responding. Uh, independently. And they both uh, say that they've had psychic situations so before. she's asked about experiencing unexplained... That's not in the book. Uh, sorry, yeah, she's asked about genuine psychic phenomena and she says, I don't want to talk about it. That's not fucking compelling. <laughs> Andy, on the other hand, is asked about experiencing unexplained phenomena, right? And he says, I saw my parents die in a car crash. And Wanla says, you know, basically, I'm very sorry about that. But what was so unexplainable about it? And he responds with, I saw it a week before it happened. I saw it a week before it actually happened. Okay, if that's later in the book, I still, I'm only like halfway through it now. So Uh maybe that's later, but otherwise it doesn't come up again. Like, I'm just like, why include that if you're not going to? Some background stuff about why they weren't affected in the same way everyone else was by Lot 6, maybe. Maybe that's why. That. And that it would unlock those abilities yeah, for them. That's, that's as my opposed guess. to driving them mad like mm-hmm. it does the other people. Yeah, I guess. Okay, but anyway, so when the mother comes up, like, they immediately, like, let's change this to a happy time. Like, they don't ever want to upset the mother, I guess. So they decide to make pancakes. Yeah. Just cute. They're a cute family. I do like that they show you that they have fire extinguishers in each room. They say it, and we see it once. We see it once. I wish we would have, there would have, I, I did like that. I wish we would have seen more. I wish we, there would have been a, maybe a little bit more obvious. Maybe we could take a tour throughout the house and just sort of subtly as we pass by or pass through every room, you notice that there's a Well, maybe you just fire extinguisher. Yeah, maybe I just didn't notice it. Maybe they did do that. But um, they set on one specific fire extinguisher as they start to make pancakes. Yes. 
But so we find out that kind of like in the book where he gets people to feel more confident, in this movie he pushes people to want to quit smoking. Yes. That's how he makes his money. Mm-hmm. But it hurts him every time. I kind of like the bleeding from the eyes. Rather than the nose? Yeah. I mean, I think it looks cool. I think it's an interesting effect. I feel like they only did that because they couldn't make it so obvious that they would be, quote unquote, copying yeah, Stranger right. Things. <laughs> but it also, it looks neater, you know? <laughs> like, it looks more badass. It looks more scary. Yeah. I hate dealing with it at school. I hate that whole uh, thing. Why is there a bullying subplot? Like it, it, Why is there a bullying subplot? This is another consequence of her being older. Of her being older and being in school. It's a, it was a bad decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to deal with it because the teacher is so obnoxiously terrible as a teacher. It just it's it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. At the very least, in Carrie, the teacher strikes back. Yeah, it's a whole extra part of the plot is that the teacher. There are consequences for the bullying behavior. Whereas yeah. in this one, it's like, what the fuck? You're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. Even though these people have been bullying you, and I just stood by idly and watched it happen. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, that's fine. But she has an event at school, and it gets seen by the shop. They see that it happens. Yes, so in this thing, mm-hmm. it's that she does that instead of the fact that she causes her mother to catch on fire. <laughs> and calls 911 or so whatever. So in this version, she will catch her mother on fire, but she does it intentionally, except that she meant to get her dad. And you're just like, oh, so she's a villain. Oh, yeah. okay. So, yeah, later on, they're having an argument. She's going to catch her mom on fire. But the, the her mom and dad have different styles of parenting, which is real, you know, like, sure. And he is more like, you know. Conceal, don't feel. You know, like, that's his thing. Um, and the mom is like, no, we need to, like, teach her how to control Which is it. weird, like, because this movie makes a point of the fact that the mom hasn't been working on her abilities. Right. She's is, been tamping down everything that she feels and can do. Which yeah. is why she can't protect herself. Yes. So, there are three different instigating moments where Vicky dies. In the first movie, he's gone, right? He comes home. She's already dead. He finds her in the ironing board, which is what I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty dang close to what, what in happens book? in the book. But it's not exactly right. In this one, it's they see they're watching her. They see her express a heat phenomena at school. And they're like, nope, shut it down. And they, they go after her this way. With a much more similar rainbird to the book. Yes. Although not as interesting. This, in, this rainbird is not interesting. It's played by Michael Gray Eyes. Uh, he's been in a great many things, but to me, he's Tommy from the original Prey game, which is actually interesting because you have a main character who is Native American and it takes place in a Native American community. And like, it's it's a very interesting game. You should play the original Prey. But yeah, I don't think he's as interesting. But my point is, in the book, she disappears. And that's the problem, and I find that really fucking compelling. They are content to watch. They just watch. And that that there is that similarity here in this movie where they're just watching her, you know? 
But in in this, they're watching her, and then she goes over to a friend's house to stay the night for like two nights, and over the over the weekend. And so the parents are home, and she's not, and then she doesn't come home, and so the shop panics, and so they end up torturing Vicky while Andy is out, pulling out her fingernails and everything, and ultimately killing her, shoving her into the ironing board closet thing. To be like, where is she? Where is she? And obviously, Vicky lets it spill. She gives her up. After three fingers worth. Yeah, which is kind of compelling stuff. I think your instinct would be that the mother would never give her daughter up. But she does. You've never been tortured. Right. No, I know. But I mean, I think that's the, it's the storytelling instinct is to be like, no, the mother would never protect daughter at all costs. But yeah, torture is a different fucking beast. Right. So it's it's kind of compelling stuff. And then they go to the house where she's staying the night and they kidnap her there. Right. Like, so it's kind of a little similarities between all three, but they're different similarities. And all three of them are sort of variances on the same sort of thing. I think it's it's interesting to think about all three. But so in this version, she is. Is it Rainbird who first grabs her and covers her eyes? No, it has to be somebody else because she kills this guy, right? This guy... No, it is Rainbird. Andy walks in and he has her and he has his hand over her eyes, yeah. He's like, if she has no sight, then Mm -hmm. she has no power. But that's not true. She can't direct her power and she'll hurt everyone. (laughs) Yeah. But so that's how she gets away here, right? Is she just does a whole blast and is willing to hurt her father... As well, she's just, she finds out that her mom is dead and that upsets her so much that, you know, she does the whole blast. And then they run away. Um, Andy tries to push Rainbird at this moment and he's like, that won't work on me. <laughs> we will find out that he's also been tested on when yes. he was a prisoner. Which you might be like, well, then why would he help these people? And it's because he's kind of gone insane. Yeah, he's a little nuts, but he has an arc in this one. Well, I think the character is more interesting. He's kind of flat in the first Firestarter movie. He does have an arc in this movie. So, I mean, it's an arc I don't necessarily like, but it's there. Mm-hmm. He does change over the course of the movie, which is interesting. After running away, she like they're like at a farm or whatever, and she finds a cat, and, and the yeah. cat well, scratches her, and so- she sets it on <laughs> Fire. <laughs> first, first, she says that she tells her dad it was supposed to be you when she burned her mom. We also meet Kurtwood Smith for his one fucking scene as Wanless. Who? Red Foreman. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Where the captain, who is now a young woman. He was just ambitious. Right. Gloria Rubin. And she was in Mr. Robot, Falling Skies. Anyway. She comes to talk to him, and he is like, he tells a compelling story, but he's like such a nothing character. He's there once, and then he's gone. He's making piles of pixie stick powder. For what reason? It's never explained. Well, because in the book, he he destroys cigarettes. He, like, constantly is, is destroying them. It's his way of not smoking, I guess. Okay. But why? Pi- why does that translate into I, pixie sticks? I don't know. But he tells a diff- he tells an interesting story. But yep, yeah, nope, we're not going to see Wanless again. And yes, she finds a cat in an alleyway, and she's like, "Oh, kitty, kitty!" And then it, and, and then she sets the fucking thing on fire. And then Andy shows up, and then we see the cat half burned on the ground, moaning, and it is fucking ugh. Yeah. Ugh. 
Mm-hmm. No, thank you. And this is where she's going to get a weird lesson that she's going to put lesson, into play later. Yes. The lesson is... Honey, he's in pain. You have to put him out of his misery, right? <laughs> I really didn't mean to. I know you didn't. I know. This is what it costs, though. Because it can't be a reaction like that. It's got to be a, a decision. That's the only way you can control it. Which will translate to a human later. Yes. Uh-huh. And so she sets the whole thing up, and then we get to hear that. Yeah. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I know you don't want to do it, but it's the right thing to do. Despite the fact that it'll hurt it and kill it, the alternative is worse. And this is where I wrote down, so she's just never gotten mad before. Right. Just up until she was fucking 11 years old, she never once got uncontrollably angry. Right. Or he Have did you good met a, job. a toddler? <laughs> like, it's just the most ridiculous thing. Yeah, totally. I wrote down here, my next note is uh, for Andy... This is where I wrote the bleeding eyes is kind of neat. Uh, I wrote it as as a sort of a response to my other comment is that the neck cracking as a prelude to him using his powers is so fucking stupid. It's real stupid. It's so stupid. Well, they didn't want to do the... Yeah, the hands on the side of the head. <laughs> where yeah. he looks like his head's about to explode. Instead, he just goes, crack, like, oh, I look badass, and it's oh, a it's threat. Real and it's real Oh, it's so stupid. It's real And I, I bet you the director came up with that idea or they read it in the script and is like, it has to be filmed. <laughs> One of those two. And, and now he's required to make it. Time yes, it's real uh-huh. bad. Poor Zac Efron. <laughs> yeah, because I think Zac Efron does a fine job. I think he's a good actor. I don't. I, I like him in this. I don't like. I the really hate do. That Zac Efron gets. Well, he's a weirdo. Is he? I thought. He no, I mean, just I've like, heard that he's, he's a weird. great guy. Yeah, I'm sure, but we've watched that show that he did, that traveling oh, right, around the world oh, right, show. Oh, right. He's a little weird, but he seems like a a nice guy. Like he seems like a good dude. <laughs> he's just a little weird. <laughs> well, I think he is. A decent, I think he's a pretty good actor. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that it's hard when you're that good looking to prove to people that you are talented. And I think Just that he is talented. Stunning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you remember when he did Baywatch and he got like rock ripped? I've never seen it. But like there was this whole thing where they would work out together on set. He hated it. I've read that he hated it. Well, it's a bad movie. <laughs> well, no, but I've read that, like, he didn't like that. It's unattainable. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you have to work out so much every single day. Why do you think, despite the fact that he's such a great guy, people constantly butt heads with The Rock? And when The Rock tells me that Vin Diesel doesn't have the appropriate work ethic, I think, well, Rock, your standards are too fucking high. Nobody's allowed to have fun. Yeah. Life is ju- life cannot just be work. Yes, <laughs> hustle culture, everyone. Hustle culture. Hustle, hustle, hustle. As no we, time as to we have do fun, our extra to enjoy our lives. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. as we do our second job. Anyway, so this is where we get Irv again, and for some reason, I just felt it in my bones. It's one of these sort of modern Stephen King adaptations. I was just like, Irv's gonna be John Lithgow. <laughs> Because he was in Pet Cemetery, right? <laughs> but he just feels like that kind of role. That's John. That's a John Lithgow role. But it's actually 
uh, John Beasley. Which I'm fine with. Yeah. I mm-hmm. don't like what they did to his wife. It's so weird what they did to her. And for like, just so they can show off her ability to read minds, I, I think. Yes. So, okay. So first of all, he does the bill thing to convince him that here's $500 to take us where we want to go. No, it's just 100 in this. Okay. Which I think is in the first one too. It's just that he also did the $500 with the cabbie. Yeah. There just is no cabbie in this one. And so... Charlie stays outside playing with the chickens, and then he goes inside and has a beer with him. The beer, by the way, is a uh, yeah. It's the name of the beer. Are you serious? Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> but like, you might be thinking, wait a minute, the wife should be out. Playing no, she's with the chickens nowhere. With her, she's nowhere until Charlie climbs in through a window and falls into a room with this woman in a vegetative state, and then they introduce each other. I guess it's extra emotion, because, like, she forgives you. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, God. It's real cheesy. So, apparently, eventually you're going to find out, because at first you're like, oh, she was in a car accident, and then also That's what he says. He gets mad that she was in there. Yeah. And she's like, her name's Essie. And he's like, how do you know her name? And she's like, well, I know that she was also in a car accident, and the son also died in that car accident. Well, later you're going to find out. That uh, Irv was apparently driving. Yeah. And was, like, so mad that they, they were got... arguing with each other and he wasn't paying attention. Which he will twice talk about his anger, his temper. Yeah. Oh, you know, my... Bad temper. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, I try to is, be good. Which is why he gets so mad at her when she goes into the room. And then also while he why he will call the cops on them when he finds yeah. out that they're on so the run. They go to which they go to bed. Again, is nothing like the character from the original yeah. or from the book. He stays up drinking and then watches the news report and then keeps rewinding it and playing it over again and over again. He's just sitting there stewing, having already called the cops, and Andy wakes up and is like, uh, Irv. What's going on? And he's like, I didn't kill my wife. Does my daughter look like she's afraid to be with me? Which, by the way, not a good argument. (laughs) Not a good argument, no. If you're the father and you kidnapped your daughter, having killed the mom, I would not necessarily expect your daughter to be afraid of you. (sighs) That doesn't mean you didn't kidnap her. Right. But anyway. Yeah, it is a stupid argument. To that, Irv says, You telling me I I can't trust the TV? Yeah, which is really upsetting because the original Irv hates the government. It's like, get off my fucking property. Yes. And so Andy responds with, Shocker. I know. It's like, okay. Yeah. What is this? Why are we doing this? (sighs) Okay. So the police do show up. Well, first there's that big argument until Charlie tells him your wife forgives you. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I know it happened. You were driving that day and you were arguing. You got out of control and you hit a car head on. That's how she got hurt. That's how Justin died. As he told me. But there's something else. Something she's been wanting to tell you for 30 years. She forgives you. You've hated yourself all this time. But it was an accident. And she forgives you. Just to calm him down. Now he's like, oh, I do have to save you. And he tries to tell the police that show up that they're not here. And the police officer who knows him is like, dude, I think something's up and I would like to search your house. And then he gets shot in the fucking head. <laughs> all the cops do. This is what the shop does. They just show up. And they 
execute police officers. Is that what happens? Yes. Is that really what happens here? Uh-huh. I didn't realize that. Uh, and they show on. up with magic contacts. They have magic contacts. Oh, right. Yeah. They have magic so digital stupid. contacts that that's prevents him from pushing them. That's why you can't push them. Oh! It, it's real dumb. It's real, real dumb. Like, you already established that he gets headaches and he gets sick when he pushes. Like, just, why don't you want to make him sick like in the original? It's a weird thing. But, okay. But let's, there's just okay, a couple yeah. things I want to go over before they have the debacle with Irv. They do have a funny conversation with him about Tony Robbins, because he tells him, I'm a life I'm a, coach. I'm a life coach, yeah. Like, uh-huh. Tony Robbins. That's a little funny conversation that uh-huh. they have. But also... We have an important conversation between Charlie and her dad. And she's, like, upset about what she's done. And he's like, well, you know what, Charlie? I killed people when you were born. Yeah. To save you. They were going to take you away. I killed them. Mm -hmm. But here's the problem with that. I didn't just hurt those people that wanted to hurt you. Yeah, they had wives. They had families. I hurt them, too. I hurt all those people. Not just the bad men, mm-hmm. all the people who cared about those men, you know, which is kind of what, you know, I'm constantly trying to explain to my kids. It's like, just because somebody seems like a bad person to you yeah, doesn't mean that they don't have people who care about them. Right. For the most part, life is not just black and white. Mm-hmm. And that's like him trying to instill that it's hesitation not, in her. It's not okay to just yeah, hurt people. Exactly. You need to have a good reason for it. He's like, I did it to protect you, but it came at a pretty big cost to other people. Mm-hmm. I didn't write down that they just started shooting people. That's a crazy thing. Yeah. But he tells Charlie, keep running, which yeah. she doesn't do. He even says, what have I always told you? And she says, keep running. And uh-huh. so she starts to run. So why would she believe that he would tell her to come back? It, it's very frustrating. Wait, what do you mean? Later on, when oh, they to send, save to save him, when he says, "Come save me," she uh-huh. believes that. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. But it's an interesting moment because Rainbird, so confident that he can't be pushed, is not wearing these magic contacts, which is a stupid mistake, right? Like you have the magic contacts, just fucking wear them. Maybe it infringes upon his abilities. I don't know because he needs sight to use his abilities. Yeah, yeah, I guess maybe, but. Because this is a desperate moment for Andy, which I guess the death of his wife and the protection of his daughter before wasn't desperate enough of a moment. (laughs) He just goes all out with his powers and doesn't necessarily push Rainbird to do anything, but puts an image in his head. He can at least accomplish that. This is where I wrote the neck crack and the bleeding eyes are just a bit much. Uh Uh-huh. It's, yeah, it is. But you like the eyes bleeding. I like the eyes bleeding, yeah. But the neck crack is what I'm talking about. And so so Rainbird thinks he's running after Charlie into the woods when he's actually not. Well, but he thinks he figures it out, too. Yes. That was a fun thing. He's like, bit. oh, yeah, you think you could you could trick me. I see her now in the woods. I'm going to go after her. And he goes, and then he realizes he hasn't moved an inch. Yes. Which is kind of cool. I liked that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a great moment, and, and Andy sort of smiles. He gets, like, the butt of a gun to the face or something like that, and he gets taken away. Meanwhile, Andy, out in the woods, tries to hone her craft and practice her abilities. By making one fire. Uh Uh-huh. And now I can go and defeat the entire government. So when she hears from her dad, come and save me, psychically, she says, 
I'm coming, Daddy. I'll find you. Ugh. At some point in here, <laughs> Rainbird is talking to someone. I mm-hmm. don't know if it's Cap or Zac Efron uh, or maybe it's fucking Foreman. I don't know. But he says, I deserve to die for what I have done to I think this it's, little girl. I think it's Rainbird. Rainbird's the one saying that. Yeah. I don't know who he's saying it to. Uh, I don't know. Um, I deserve Probably to die. Probably the captain. I don't know. You will understand when you see her. She will come for us all. She is my sister. My mother. Well, you killed her mother. She will be your dad. A fate which I deserve. When you see her, you will understand. So this is kind of showing that admiration that he has for her that is yeah. weird and twisted. He's starting to recognize film. her as exploited. Well, he also recognizes that he's done the be- a wrong thing. Right. To his sister, as he calls right. her. Yes, because they are, they are connected in that way. And so he recognizes that he did a bad thing and he starts to regret his actions, not to say that what he's going to do is going to be good, but what he's going to do is going to be necessary at least. Now, after this really good moment with Rainbird, and it's super powerful and well-directed and acted, uh-huh. then we're going to get a really shitty moment. Like I said, she makes one fire, and suddenly she's got all the power she needs. I'm coming, Daddy. She, yes, and she's super determined, and the music is really no, over the top. No, I disagree. I specifically wrote down, at least this song is good. No, It's way dramatic and over the top. But it's an awesome synth song. And I wrote down, finally, by the way, finally it's good because the rest of the soundtrack is fine, but it gets lost underneath the movie. And I, it, here's the thing. It's a John Carpenter soundtrack. Do you want to know where this determination and music is leading to? She says, I'm I'm coming, daddy. That's dumb. And it's leading to her finding the bullies on their bikes out yeah. of nowhere and taking his I understand. bike. And I'm just like, I, that's stupid. That's what all this music was leading yes. to? In that way, yes. But the song itself is very good. And it's the first time I was like, this John Carpenter soundtrack, this is John Carpenter doing the music, like, is, is actually really good. And it's interesting because, of course, John Carpenter was originally supposed to direct well, the first it's just, one. It's used poorly. Okay, I'll give you that. But I'm I'm thinking finally the music is good. Not necessarily the music fits. But the rest of the music is okay, but it gets just just gets buried underneath the volume of the rest of the movie and I just feel like it does not have a personality until exactly here. But I see your argument that it's maybe over the top for what carries us right into which is so she's like I'm coming daddy and then three bullies on a bike. What? <laughs> So she gets there on the bike and she pushes a, well, he says he's a tech. And since he's pushing him, I would assume he's telling the truth, but he has a gun he and has he's a willing gun. to kill a child and he's a tech. Is that not weird? I don't think that she's pushing him. She's pushing him to tell her where her father is. She's threatening him. I guess. And so that's why he he lies is, you know, he doesn't have a gun. They don't let us t- techs have guns. But he's about to pull a gun on her. She's going to get away. He's about to pull a gun on her. 
So she sets him on fire. She sets him on fire. And he's still alive. So she's like, oh, right. I can't let you be in misery. So I'm just going to kill you Gotta put you out of your misery. Which I'm like, I don't know that that was the right lesson to be learned here. So the security guard's like, oh, shit. And he, uh, in, who's watching the feed, he hits the alarm or whatever. She walks right in, sees her daddy in a glass box tied to a chair. And then the captain shows up and the captain's like, you wouldn't dare hurt me. You'll hurt your daddy. And daddy's like, go ahead and do it, baby. And then she sets both of them on fire. Well, that's that's it. That's the end. Captain's done. The idea is that she is going to burn Captain and Captain feels safe because she says, if you burn me, your father will be burned automatically. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, do it. Do it. Yes. And so she does, which up to this point, the captain has not seemed like that big a threat at all in the movie. And that's shit that we've seen that she hasn't. We have no reason to believe that everything's going to stop when the captain dies. So why would you make this ultimate sacrifice now? I think if anyone deserves this sacrifice, it's Rainbird. But Rainbird gets a different ending. In this movie. Yes. So first, she has to put her hood on, because now she's finally turned well, badass. Here's what I wrote down. I was just like, wait, wait. You supposedly have considered all the possibilities. This was not one of them. You did not consider maybe, just maybe, the father might be willing to sacrifice himself for his daughter. Like, that never came on the table. Right. That's the insane. Never, yeah. Also, like... It does not seem like a foolproof plan. You broke into here to save your dad. It's the only reason you came is because you thought your dad wanted you to come. And then you kill him. Well, because, of course, he told her immediately, that wasn't me. (laughs) Right. I'm just saying, that's a big fuck up. You fucked up, kid. But yeah, she puts on her hood now. I've killed my own father. I'm... She fucking Anakin Skywalker's... And then she goes down the hallway, and then she has to fight all these people, and then there are people in suits that ca- that are flame retardant, and, like, so... So she has to push them to take those those off. At one point, then, like, somebody says, we're not going to hurt you or something. Yes, this lady who seems like a tech or whatever, we're not going to hurt you, and some guy comes up behind her. Oh, because she's scared. She's yes. just trying to get away. She's like, I'll help you get to safety. And the guy comes up behind her to grab Charlie, and Charlie turns around, kills that guy, and then turns back to her and is like, liar liar pants on fire and then sets her on fire she said the thing kelsey she said the thing thing. and then she did it liar liar pants on fire she unlocks every door with her mind as she's making her way through here but she overexerts herself at some point trying to get away and then rainbird shows up she, like, sees herself in the mirror and, like, can't do it for a second. But then yeah. she, like, goes outside and burns it down anyway, which is she, weird. She falls to the ground. Like, she collapses from overexerting herself. And Rainbird shows up, kills everybody there, and then carries her away. He puts his hand out to her and she takes it. Yeah, but then he, like, picks her up carry- and carries her physically away. I wrote here... I do like this music. I think this music mm-hmm. is good, but again, it feels inappropriate in this moment. But, but see, that's what I'm saying. It's good music used poorly, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the movie. That's the end of the movie. Rainbird lives and fulfills the Irv role. Now, granted, it's not like a, we're going to tell the world, you know, go to the New York Times and that's the 
supposed to feel good, you know? No, she's just going to go and be free. And, well, and maybe trained <laughs> by this fucking psychopath. Yes. Yes, the implications here are bad. He's not as weird as he is right. in the original. No, in this one, it's going to be... But he's, he's still, like... Yeah. He's a crazy person. Yes. <laughs> he's not going to teach her to do good things with Right, exactly. But at least he's come to care for her. Yes. You know, I guess. So... Kelsey, hmm. what do you think this one has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to guess a 59. I will tell you it's even worse than the Rotten Tomato score of the first one, which oh. was a 37. So it's less than 37. Oh, my. Uh, is it like a 13? It's a 10. Oh, my God. There was plenty of room to improve on the original. But Firestarter trips over that low bar and tumbles toward the bottom of the long list of Stephen King adaptations. There's even an audience consensus, Uh which says it isn't offensively awful, but this Firestarter is still a half-hearted letdown compared to the book or even the mediocre first film adaptation. Metacritic of 32, cinema score of C-. Overrated or underrated? It's definitely underrated. For sure. It's as much so as we've complained about this movie, it is not a fucking 10. No. Mm-mm. What would you give it? I will give it a 57. Yeah. I think it's above the 50 mark. Mm-hmm. It was a perfectly fine movie mm-hmm. in isolation. Yes. Wasn't great. Compared to the book in the original, like these consensuses Makes consensi- it worse. Say. Yeah, it does make it worse. Mm-hmm. That's just true. It's mm-hmm. not as good as what's come before. No. And that's its biggest sin. But Zac Efron does a really good job, I think. What are you going to give it? I think I will give it... I think it's above the 50 mark. I think 55 is fine. Okay. Mid-50s. You know. Not not quite into the 60s. Like, if you were to ask me which Firestarter movie you should watch, it's definitely the original. But I see why people would like this. I think you're especially liable to like it if you watch it first. Yes. So we watched it out of order, I guess, in that regard. (laughs) Uh, We didn't mention a couple things. I don't remember which movie it is because I guess my notes deleted it. But they drive around in Irv's Willie's Jeep, which I just had to mention because that's what I drove in high school. I drove a 51 Willie's CJ3A. Loved that thing. It's a great vehicle. Nothing automatic on it at all. Everything's manual. Manual steering, manual brakes. It's a good skill to have, I should yes. know that. Yes, uh-huh. It's manual transmission. Yeah, it's awesome. That's the thing I mentioned before with the ammo box, where the ammo box was our center compartment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so if you hear him mention the Willys Jeep, that's that's what it is. That is our double feature. The late night. 1984's and 2022's Firestarter. Firestarter. Twisted Firestarter. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Next week is both a recommendation week and a meta week. Yes. We're going to finish out a series. We're going to watch Gremlins 2. The new batch. I actually had the novelization of that as a kid. (laughs) 
And then uh, we're going to watch a recommendation of Chickapedia's. Uh, now, this is an older recommendation of hers. Yes. Not one that she's made since she's become a member. But Backer on Patreon. We still appreciate that she is one of our patrons. Yes. Thank you very much for that. And again, guys, if you want to get your name on the show, we'd be happy to do that. Names like Marcus, Gravemind, Jeffrey, Chickapedia, David, Greg, and Stacy, all backers on patreon.com slash pod cemetery. And she recommended that we watch Final Girls. Yes, which is one we've been wanting to watch for a long time, but put off watching in our personal lives because we knew we were going to address it at some point on the show. Mm-hmm. I believe Chickapedia originally recommended that we watch it with New Nightmare, which is a great recommendation. But we have another movie this week in Gremlins that sort of breaks the fourth wall mm-hmm. between what's happening on the screen and what's happening in real life. What with Hulk Hogan, hot cold soda, and cold hot popcorn. Hot cold soda and cold hot popcorn right now. But yeah, so a meta week with Gremlins 2, the new batch, and Final Girls. That is next week. Until then, you can find us on our website, podcemetery.com, on Twitter, at podcemetery, and you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that, sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that, it's just listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Those men came here without any warrants at all. Tried to take them off our land. One of them shot me. What do you want me to do? Sit here and turn them over to the secret police? If they ever get their peckers up enough to come back? Be a good Nazi? I'm a fire starter. Twisted fire starter. Test, test, test. Can you say something? Let's do this. Let's do this. I'll put that paper over. Oh, I thought you knew that. Knew that. Not clicking the link. Kelsey. Not clicking the link. Twisted fire starter. Yeah, how often are you going to do Every single recording. Every single time we say Firestarter. Every time you're going to put like some of the, the no, music? No, of course not. No, absolutely not. That would be such a headache. No guy. Oh, yeah. Podcemetery.com. Not podcemetery.com. I'm a Firestarter. Twisted Firestarter. Scaring the little girl? We are in... Captain Hollister's office. Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. No. No. Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. Sorry. Martin Sheen. I get them confused. Well, I'll edit that out. Back off. Back off. Back off. Meanie head. Yeah, it's... What's the name of the world in Never Ending Story? 
like Narnia, but it's not Narnia. Fantasia? Fantasia, yes. Wood chips. They should have given me something harder. Oh my god, but one of the set of actors, like, had, they got, like, a couple lines. Don't move. Freeze. It was just like, what is this acting? What is this direction? It's it's not good. These These were extras, and they should not have been given lines. Quiet time starts... Now. Just lay down, little kitten. It's almost like she's afraid she's gone deaf. So she needs to make noise just to make sure she can still hear. Have mommy and daddy gone mute? I think a gun to the butt of... Uh, 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 you telling me I can't trust the TV? Shocker, I know. 